Will you outlast your money? Do you stay awake at night worrying about providing for your family? Are you making the right decisions about your investments? There are many life-changing decisions that arise and questions you want answered when going through divorce or after you've received your settlement. This is the Financially Ever After podcast, where you'll hear stories of women like you and get advice from the industry's top professionals. Here's your award-winning and nationally recognized host, Stacey Francis. She's here today to talk to us about postnups. And you may not have heard of a postnup, but by the end, you're going to understand what a postnup is, how to talk to your spouse about this, whether or not you need one, and best practices to make it a contract that can support you and your family going forward, no matter what happens in your marriage. She also talks about the difference between a prenup and a postnup and when each is best for you. And make sure that you stay to the end because she gives you some important pieces of information of how you bring this conversation up. And I share some personal struggles that I've had even with my husband talking about this issue, particularly postnups. So thank you for tuning in. And without further ado, here is Linda Rosenthal, partner at McLaughlin and Stern. I'm really excited to have you here. And you have a different background than a lot of people um, that I've met in your profession as a matrimonial lawyer. Um, how did you come to this? And what was the work that, that brought you here? Thanks. Well, first, let me say it's very nice to be here. So thank you so much for having me as a guest. I'm really excited to be here. Um, so I probably do have an unusual story in terms of how I became a matrimonial lawyer. I actually started off my legal career. Well, I clerked for a federal judge and I did a fellowship, a women's rights fellowship. But then I was a reproductive health lawyer, which is really another way of saying I did abortion rights litigation domestically throughout the U.S. Uh, for an organization called the Center for Reproductive Rights. I did that for a long time. Um, and truth be told, I was poor. <laughs> That's the truth. It was yeah. really tough on me financially. Yeah. Um, I owed a lot of money for school. And so after many years of practicing, and I've been practicing now 20-something years, um, I decided that it was important for me not only to honor my commitment to women's rights, but also to honor, I guess, my commitment to this woman, myself, yeah, and yeah. to take care of myself financially. So I immediately, not me, but I made the, the change initially to securities litigation. I went to a really big law firm and did sort of, I used to joke, I went from doing women's rights to becoming the man. <laughs> and I quintupled my salary um, and did that for a few years, paid off all my school debt, which was massive. For you. Yeah, That's yeah. huge. It was huge. So you were able to pay off all your school loans? All my school loans. And mostly because I had a bunch of chits, like credentials in my bag of tricks that had enabled me to get my really competitive job litigating abortion rights around the country. But in the private sector, really translated into cash. So yeah. just for example, I when I left my clerkship, my co-clerk went to one of these really large law firms and was given a $30,000 signing bonus. I went and did a fellowship for women's rights and my salary for the year was 29. 
thousand. So all of these, yeah. you know, deltas were increasingly. Uh, the Gulf was massive, and I owed two hundred thousand dollars for school. But all to say that after I did that for a few years and paid off all my loans and saved some money, I knew that I wanted to do something truly that was more meaningful to me. And I wanted to strike a balance once again between helping women and supporting Mm -hmm. myself. So, and matrimonial seemed uh, truly a natural place for me to transition my career. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's really interesting too. what we're going to be talking about today is postnups and the first question Mm -hmm. um, that a lot of people have is, you know, what is a prosnup? We've heard of prenups, right? right? (laughs) Right. You know, and, and, you know, maybe you can talk a little bit about why you would need a prenup and want a prenup, why that would be a good decision for you. Um, But then talk about postnups because not as much information and real understanding about why would I want a postnup? When would I want a postnup? All of that. All of that. Okay, so I'm going to try to go in baby steps. But as a start, a prenup is exactly as it sort of sounds, which is it's a contract that you enter into before you get married. Who might be interested in a prenup? Well, traditionally, it's people that either have accumulated a lot of wealth themselves, one Mm -hmm. maybe of the two partners or both. Um, If one person comes from a really storied or like moneyed family, um, their family might want to manage how much of the family wealth sort of is going to merge into the economic partnership of the marriage. And so that's another situation where people traditionally get prenups. Sometimes older people that have kids from prior marriages want to make sure that now in a second marriage, if they have inheritance, they want to make sure that their wealth or just whatever their assets are, pass on to their own children from their prior marriages. So those are the circumstances where people traditionally consider and and would probably find a prenup to be useful. Mm -hmm. A postnup, on the other hand, is kind of also exactly what it sounds like. It's not as common, but it happens after the nuptial, after people are married. And what often has been the case is that people don't, people don't realize that when they're getting married and become spouse and spouse, because we can have all kinds of varieties of that, but whatever the spouse and spouse arrangement is romantically, it is also an economic partnership in the eyes of the law. And what people don't necessarily understand is that there are background rules that are going to operate In the event, if heaven forbid, they get divorced and there's, let's say, a dissolution of their economic partnership, those background rules apply to every couple. In a postnup, it's my view that, well, it's my view that a postnup is really a useful tool for couples to enter into, especially when one person, traditionally a woman, either steps out of the job market altogether or reduces her earning capacity to some extent, usually in order to facilitate taking care of kids. Mm-hmm. And in that moment, when, again, I'm going to say a woman, but can be gratefully, it can, it's, it's getting yeah. increasingly more acceptable for men as well to do this and to be the primary parent. But just traditionally, and the data backs up that it is still women that are stepping out or reducing their earning capacity. In my view, that's a moment when a woman should say to her spouse, hey, I'm doing this in reliance on the marriage. The premise for my stepping out 
of the job market or leaving my high power job to go into whatever, you know, part-time, nonprofit, government, whatever it might be that might give her more flexibility so that she can get home to take the, pick the kids up, whatever that is, that decision is being premised on the continuation of the marriage. And I can tell you time and again, I have women in particular in my office as a divorce lawyer, and they're shocked (laughs) and upset to find out that the background rules in New York state really don't compensate them for this major sacrifice in earning capacity. Mm-hmm. So that's a lot to say, but I think that a post in that moment before you step out of the job market or reduce your earning capacity is a, it's something really worth considering. And, you know, I, I so agree with you because I meet with these women who yeah. have given up their career for the best of intentions and the best thing for their family or step back into a different career that just like you say, part-time and they're shocked, shocked. They're shocked. (laughs) Maybe, yeah, maybe she'll receive more in child support. Maybe she'll receive more in um, spousal support, but it's nowhere near, nowhere near enough to compensate her. Correct. Because it's not just you're starting from a lower number now, it's for the rest of your life. And your spouse is still at that high level at their peak earning years. And, you know, study after study, we see that men recover from a divorce much more quickly than women do. Yes, that's, I, I agree do. with you. I'm totally aware of that data. And yeah, and it's, it's, um, this is one of the reasons. There's no question that, you know, I, I said to a friend the other day, if your roommate, non-romantic roommate said to you, quit your job, stay home. It would be really great <laughs> if you just cleaned the apartment and hung out or just made you know, dinner, right, made dinner. You know, maybe, maybe we have a, a shared pet or yeah. maybe even, a, you know, maybe why don't we adopt a kid or something, but you stay home. You would look at your roommate who you might have known in college or in law school or in business school or whatever. Yeah. And you might look at them and say, uh, yeah, not so much. Thanks. <laughs> I'm, yeah. really, I'm going to keep taking care of myself. And even if you hated your job and were tantalized at this prospect of quitting and staying home because you enjoy that or whatever, you would want some assurance from your roommate that if they ended up, you know, moving out, (laughs) that you would have some, some compensation, some payback for this massive sacrifice. And in my experience, I really think that women continue to trust that it's going to work out mm-hmm. when they make that that choice. And it's it's such an understandable one. Childcare is a real issue. And it's a it's a there's it's an amazing thing to be able to stay home with your kids or to be able to yeah. pick them up. And so this is not at all to say that women are making the wrong choice. No, not at all. I'm just advocating and really saying people should, when you're going to do this, understand that it's a choice and that you have to talk with your spouse about the what happens if. What happens if we get divorced? Because, you know, in respect of spousal support, for example, there's two questions, right? How much am I going to get? And how long am I going to get it? And in respect of the how long are you going to get it, I can tell you, you know well, that just for example, in New York State, 
if you're married up to 15 years of marriage, the guidelines, which are squishy, they're guidelines, there are things that can inform and change those uh, ranges, but the recommended maximum number of years that you can expect to receive spousal support if you've been married 15 years, is up to 30% of the years of your marriage. That's If you're married 15 years from the age of, let's say, 30 to 45, right? You've had kids, you've stepped out of the job market. This is your prime, not your only prime, but this is really in the sweet spot of building a career, earning, yep. and, and building a professional reputation on that investment in your education, everything. If you're now 45 and... I you come to meet with me or with you or whomever, and someone says, yep, five years, five years of spousal support for giving up your education and degree. And by the way, you probably will need to go get a job and you've not worked in 15 years. You probably won't be able to leverage that MBA or college degree into something that you would have aspired as a younger person earlier in your, in your career trajectory. That's a bitter pill. So, you know, I, I really think that if you have this conversation and you enter into a post-nup that just for example says, okay, I, we recognize as a couple, we're making this choice. And if heaven forbid, there's a divorce, we would like to honor this choice and the sacrifice. So how can we do that? Just straightforwardly, why don't we provide that for each year of the marriage, that uh, for every year that we've been married at the time that we get divorced, spousal support will be paid for 100% that same length of time. So it could be double, you could do anything. But just for example, then in respect of this woman, the 30-year-old who's now looking at divorce at the age of 45, 15 years of marriage, rather than what New York guidelines would recommend, which is no greater than five years of spousal support, if there was a post-snup, she would know that she could bridge with a shared income stream from her spouse's income for 15 years, one year for every year of her marriage. That's a big difference. Yeah. And so, Linda, that's yeah. actually the question that I have of what does this look like yeah. for compensating her? And, you know, the first piece you talked about is 100% of any year that they've been married to be able to receive spousal support. Um, Just an idea. Are there other ideas? Because, you know, is it, you know, receives a certain lump sum for going back to school for retraining? It could Um, be. I mean, what are all the options? Because it, I feel like it's kind of daunting. Like, yes, this makes sense a hundred percent, but how would it actually work? And I imagine, of course, every case is different. Yes. Based on assets available, you know, the working age of each person. Right. Look, I, so you're exactly right. Every couple, every family is going to be different. The possibilities are fairly limitless in terms of what the quote unquote fix could be. Mm-hmm. But yes, you could theoretically say, well, I'm giving up my degree. I'm giving up my earning capacity. I want off the top $200,000 because that's like my school debt for law school. That's the debt that I have. You can, you can configure this in whatever way makes sense in your family. Not every family is going to have $200,000 that they can yeah. shave off the top. But I think that in my having thought about this, I think that the, I don't want to say it's the most elegant way, but sort of the most straightforward way 
to think about giving some recompense, some sense of assurance Mm -hmm. is more extending the amount of time of the spousal support. The reason being, because it's always really difficult to forecast. This is one of the tough things about prenups, right? It's no less true of postnups. Postnups, you have the advantage of making decisions closer to the moment in time. Prenups, everything is kind of hypothetical. You just don't know what's going to be. And most of the time, you're really expecting there won't be a divorce because fortunately, most people get married thinking that they're going to go the distance with one another. So, you know, the post-nup, you have more information about what the sacrifice is in year zero, let's say, when you're 30 years old or whatever the age is. I'm just going back to the hypothetical. But you don't really know, for example, what your total net worth might be when you're now 45, 15 years later. You don't know if one of your kids might have a disability. You don't know. You just don't know what the world may bring. So to me, the sort of most straightforward is to talk about extending the length of the spousal maintenance period, but every option is available under the sun. And the couple is in the best position to assess their own economic partnership and value it within that partnership. So what about the woman who's listening to this? Yes. And we try not to swear on the podcast, (laughs) but she's listening to this going, holy crap. Right. I've been home now 10 years. Right. My kids are now 12 and 10. Can I get a post-nup? Yeah. So is it ever too late? It's never too late. Okay. So I'm saying this out loud. (laughs) Say it again. (laughs) It's never too late. It's never too late. It's never too late. A post-nup is always something that's available. It's available post-nuptial, full stop. So just post-nuptial. Post-nuptial. Correct. Now the rub of course is that, you know, if you have these conversations closer in time that you're making the decision, presumably the partnership both of you, you and your spouse are valuing that choice equally at that time because you're looking at each other and saying, well, one of us is going to quit. We think, can we do it? And you're making the decision hopefully as a team together, together, even if, and I have friends that this has happened gradually for them. It's not something that happened in a moment. They went on maternity leave. Then, you know, they, they were home for six months. They thought they'd go back, but in that zone, it's probably, I don't know that it's ever an easy conversation, but it's probably an easier conversation than 10 years after when you haven't been working for a long time. Yeah. And you probably, it's, it's not easy to have these conversations, no doubt. Yeah. So, so Linda, ahead. that yeah. actually, you're reading my mind because my first question is, how do you have this conversation? Yeah. Um, and let me just give you a, a yeah. little bit of a, um, hard for me to talk about. My husband and I yeah. have talked about potentially a post-nup. Right. And I will tell you, Linda, the first words out of his mouth was, is everything okay? Yeah. I thought we were really happy. And, you know, the the reasoning for me to think about this is a very smart financial move. My business, Francis Financial, is worth now more than our home. Right. All our investment assets. Right. Retirement 
and vacation home combined. Right. And the Amen. good for you. Stacey. Oh, I feel really good. <laughs> no, that's but, right. But you're right. That's but my God, to be aware of. If, if something were to happen, right, right, right. I walk away with my business, which I would want because I have people's livelihoods. I, ha- I mean, yeah, these course. are like my my family. Yeah. And I will always be responsible to take care of them and our clients. Right. And he, you know, and I live in a shoebox, <laughs> maybe cardboard even, and he has everything else, right. you know? And of course I know there are issues right. where he doesn't get a hundred percent of the business, but um, I shared that with him, but yeah. you know, it was a, it was a, it was a tough conversation. I get that. And a I, tough one. I, I understand. And it's really, I, I really admire you even for talking about it because I can imagine it's hard. It is hard. Yeah. And any of these conversations is hard. I, in my mind, I kind of liken it. It's different, but it is also hard to talk about with your spouse in a different way. What if we die in a plane crash and our kids are like surviving, right? And they're like, we go away for the weekend and the kids are survived, have survived. God bless. And who's going to take care of our kids? What do we do if we die, right? Let's make a will. And these are also difficult conversations. Now, the spouses hopefully are, I'll say, on the same page. At least they're on the same team. They're aligned in their position in that conversation. Conversation that you've just had with your husband or the one in respect of these post-nups, obviously it anticipates a time when you might not be. And that's scary. That's a really scary thing to talk about. But in my mind, Stacey, that's exactly the rub. It's about fear. And the fear that one person, a woman traditionally has in thinking about leaving the job market or the fear that maybe she should have. And I don't mean to inspire or instill fear where where there's none, but that leaving behind of an earning capacity is a scary moment. And so saying to your spouse, hey, I'm worried and I know that we're good and I love you. And I don't think that anything diabolical is going to happen. And I, I envision us rocking away on the porch in the future. But if I leave my job, what happens if you get hit by a bus? We should provide for that because I've just eliminated or reduced significantly my earning capacity. Mm -hmm. Similarly, what happens if we yeah. Have a breakup in the future. I'm afraid about these situations. Let's address them. Let's be practical about them because it's an extremely practical thing to do to be quitting one's job. Yeah. And it may be practically, you know, not to have the it, It's not the point. It's a very real thing. Yeah. Um, and it translates into dollars and cents. So how, how is a post not made? So do you each have your own lawyer? Right. Do you have uh, just one person? How how does this work? Right. Just because that, I feel yeah, like also it's another de- barrier. Demystifying all correct. that. Yeah. Right. Demystifying mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. helps people know, oh, that's not I so bad. do that. Correct. You know, right. it's not so bad. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and I feel the same way whenever I go get my teeth cleaned. I walk yeah. out. <laughs> I feel so good. I was like, that was what not was that I worried bad. about? Right? <laughs> <laughs> that's why they make you pre-schedule <laughs> they do. in fact I, I just got a text and the text said you're overdue on your six-month appointment I was like, ah, okay. fine <laughs> preventative care is always better than after the fact same with the post so <laughs> what i would say is that um just like with all answers from a lawyer it, it can depend right so you're making a contract and the 
best way to make a contract is to make sure that it's also enforceable. And one of the ways that we know that contracts are enforceable down the road, if heaven forbid you have to pull it out of the drawer, is if both people have lawyers. Now, okay. that doesn't mean that the whole process has to be massively lawyered up. I, I wouldn't say that. There are people that go to mediators for their divorce. They go to mediators for many things. And I would say that you could theoretically, each of you have your own lawyer from the get-go and do it you know, sort of as a, as a back and forth between each side, or the couple could go to, for example, one person, basically a mediator, have them draft it. And then I do still think a one hour meeting with in a hetero couple with the woman, the wife with her lawyer, the husband with his, whatever the combination. Yeah. But yeah. I do think that a lawyer should be involved with each team member independently to explain what are the background rules? What are you now, instead of having the off the rack rules, how are you customizing? What are the options? What other things maybe you haven't considered? And then basically making sure that given that you're having this hard conversation, given that you're undertaking to do this, make sure that it's going to stick in the future. Yeah. Because otherwise, all you've done is create a little bit of... of um, maybe some unpleasant conversations or hard. I, I hope it's not unpleasant. You know, yeah. in my mind, I, and I say this to clients all the time in respect to prenups and postups, but it can actually be a romantic thing. <laughs> it really can be team building. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean it's easy. Yeah. But if you're going to go to the trouble of having the conversation and undertaking the project, make sure it sticks down yeah. the road if you ever need it. What if your spouse doesn't want to do this yeah mm -hmm. it's hard what do you do yeah so i feel like i'm giving you the hardest questions no no it's <laughs> i'm these, telling you just like these are the these are the right questions they're exactly because the right there questions. are going to be there yeah. are going to be spouses that say no right no way yeah yeah are you course. kidding me right why would i do that right everything's great don't, or i don't yeah. want to or yeah right. so look again i think of course it depends on the exact moment that you're having the conversation but if you're having this conversation before you quit your job or before you've gone part-time i would say think twice now that doesn't mean that you can't right but yeah. i do think that if your spouse doesn't understand, again, I'll, I'll say fear or insecurity and um, want to honor that with a contract, maybe you should ask them to quit their jobs <laughs> and stay see home how with that the kids. Feels. Right. And, and see if there's a way to make that work within your family. And if the answer is, no, I'm not quitting my job. Okay. Then if that's, and, and I say that a bit playfully, but also quite truly, yeah. genuinely, meaning if and there are deltas between, you know, men's earnings and women's earnings. Traditionally, men still out earn women significantly. So the yeah. first answer will be, you know, we'll have to really downsize if we do that. I get that. But the point is more that it's a conversation. And if your spouse doesn't want to engage it, that's, you're going to have to, you know, yeah. a contract takes two people, right? Yeah. Same as a marriage, but you can still make your own choices in respect of not quitting your job or not pivoting in this way. I'm not saying it's always the easiest. Yeah. It may not be what you actually want. Like the roommate who maybe hates her job or his job and would love to stay home and not work at all. But really it's the more protective thing for yourself. And ultimately 
for your children too, if there is a divorce, heaven forbid in the future, the ability to retain earning capacity and maintain that, it redounds to everyone's benefit. Mm -hmm. We've worked with a lot of clients who have done um, post-nups, but they've come to us when they're not in a happy place in their marriage. Mm -hmm. So he's been caught cheating. She's ready to leave the marriage. He says, what can I give you? I don't want to get a divorce. Mm -hmm. And so if you stay married, um, what do you want? And so then a post-nup is made to essentially help rebuild trust and help show commitment to the relationship and to the marriage. Um, So for that, how do you know when, this is such a tough one. That's okay. In a, are there different considerations? Yeah, for sure. So then mm-hmm. the woman who is making that very tough decision of, do I go part-time? Do I step out completely? Right. You know, all of that. Right. So look, the, there are different considerations, but not in the formal sort of legal yeah. framework, right? You're still, still same process, it's a, same it's structure. Same process. It, it's still going to be a contract that you're making and you're still each partner in the, in the couple and the partnership is going to need to understand what the background rules would provide for them so that they can then basically understand what they're negotiating against. So if, you know, if it is being done in the moment that you've just described, because somebody says, fine, I'm going to stay in the marriage, but I want a guardrail because you've breached our, our sort of uh, unwritten marriage contract. Now we're going to put pen to paper and we're going to make provision because I don't want to feel a fool if I remain in the marriage, for example. And I do see that as well, but still lawyers are needed to it's out to educate is a, is a funny way to say it, but basically to talk with each client and yeah. let them know, well, you might expect to get 50% of the mar- of the marital assets. Maybe you could deviate and do 40% for him, or you know, maybe you get a hundred percent of the apartment people in that moment, they're going to negotiate again against not only their, the background rules, but then also their sense of injury and, and yeah. fairness as they're, as a as something that they're overcoming yeah. to building back. Sometimes yeah. we've seen um, well, we've seen lots of different things yeah. from different equitable splits mm-hmm. to keeping you know the apartment right. and then everything right. else is fifty fifty. We've also seen transfer this sum of money to an account that's in my name only. Mm-hmm. It's separate property right. from now on, and right. it will not be included in the calculation right. of equitable distribution. The split. If God forbid we do get a divorce, right, so it can right, be counted right. against me. Right. Um, and you know what it comes down to is what you said before of feeling safe. Yeah. It's way her way of knowing that I'm not a fool right. for staying, right. for giving this another chance, right. and I feel safe. Right. I feel safe. Right. Um, are there ever times when a postnup or even mm-hmm. a prenup? is challenged because one of the things that in the back of anyone's mind would be, I'm doing all this work going through all, is this really going to work? Is it going to stick? Is it going to stick? Right. Right. Uh, Because he, of course, you know, he ends up, you know, let's say maybe she decides to leave the marriage 
and she's had this post-nup that gives her a certain additional percentage because right. she's found someone new. Right. Husband's just ticked. Yeah. Husband's <laughs> ticked. Now he feels the full. Correct. Exactly. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, you know, is this still going to stick? Right. So it's a really good question. And it goes back to what I said before, right? When you undertake this project, you absolutely want to know that there's going to be enforceability for the trouble, right? Yeah. You don't undertake this thinking, oh, and then we'll have a fight about it also again in the future. No, nobody wants that. You're entering into a contract. So really basic principles of contract law apply. What do I mean? So for example, you know, here's a classic no-no. It's the day before the wedding. <laughs> 150 embossed invitations have gone out to a really swanky affair. All the caterers been paid, the flowers are paid, the dress has been purchased. And for the first time, your intended comes to you and says, hey, I know we're going to the rehearsal dinner tonight, but can you sign this prenup? So it's, oh my God. Right. It sounds laughable. I've seen nearly this exact scenario many times, but the reason why, let's say that's signed. The reason why the court really scrutinizes that prenup scenario is because of the informal language, the duress, right? This is not a transaction, a contract that was negotiated in the same way that the market negotiates for apples or widgets from a company. No, this woman, let's say, who received the prenup hours before the rehearsal dinner, really functionally feels like she has a gun to her head. Yeah. So all of these classic doctrines of contract law and enforceability, was there duress? Was there fraud? Was each party represented by counsel? Did they have the benefit of an independently selected yeah. teammate that they could meet with on the side and really talk about these things? Yeah. All of those hallmarks need to be present at a minimum for the pre or post not to be enforced. Which is why yeah. having that separate counsel, even Correct. if you're working with a mediator for right. the pre or the post note, to have that time to go and each person have the counsel and recommendations of a lawyer right. is key. It is that's key. part of the you know assurance that Correct. this is going to be there and this is going to stand up. That's exactly right. That's exactly yeah. right. We've covered so many things. Now, this may not apply to a lot of people. That's okay. Yeah. But let's say woman listening um, is dating someone very, very seriously and yeah. thinking that there might be marriage. What is better, a prenup or a prosnup? And, you know, I have my ideas about it, but she may feel, you know what, things are going so well. This is finally the, the person of my dreams. Right. I really want to get married and I'll deal with that later. <laughs> I get that. Deal yeah. with the post-nup later. Right, of course. Right. So what advice would you have for her? Right. So for her, I would say, sorry. It depends. <laughs> it's the lawyer's favorite answer, but it does. Prenups and postnups both serve a function. So in the scenario you've just offered, it could really well be that she doesn't need a prenup. 
right? Mm-hmm. She should still talk about money with yeah. her spouse to be, but if she in if they are similarly situated, if they are both just starting out in their careers, neither one of them has particularly significant assets on the side. Neither one of them comes from, you know, major wealthy families where the family's money is going to be a factor in the marriage. It could well be that they could do without a prenup. Now, I personally think that because marriage is an economic partnership and because these rules do apply to everyone, I think it should be almost mandatory in the same way that the church requires people to come for three sessions before you can get married in the church. I think people should be doing this before they get married so that they know equally what the rules are that apply. But in certain circumstances, maybe you don't need to undertake a prenup. In certain circumstances, maybe you do. Mm-hmm. If you own an apartment already, if you have other assets, if you have children, if you have kids from yeah. marriages, absolutely. Yeah. But yeah. a prenup serves a particular function. The postnup serves also a function, let me say, which is that you have more facts on the ground. Yeah. Right? The prenup is entirely hypothetical. You're forecasting for a lifetime. I often say to younger uh, clients of mine, Please trust your 40-year-old self. Please trust that she also won't be greedy. Let's not absolutely commit to taking X, like spousal support, off the table. Let your 40-year-old self make that same choice if she doesn't need it at the time. With the post-nup, things are less hypothetical. Maybe you know, I'm thinking about quitting my job. (laughs) I'm giving up X job. I can tell you, I had a, a client, um... I'll change the facts a little bit, but she and her husband both met at business school, let's say Harvard Business School. Um, They both got job offers. She got a really amazing job opportunity in Chicago. He got a really amazing one, I'll say in Paris. Okay. They decided it would be really cool to live in Paris. So they moved to Paris. She turned down the job in Chicago. They had three kids. And she was 43 when I first met her. Um, She's never worked. And in that scenario, she knew immediately at the time that she turned down the job, what she was turning down. She didn't know what her life path would be. She didn't know that he might come home with, you know, a yoga instructor at some point, but she knew that she was turning down a quantifiable uh, earnings moment in her life. And so a post-nup in that moment can also serve a good, you know, a function with more facts on the ground. Yeah. And I also can imagine that with a prenup, you can pull it out of your drawer, dust it off and go, holy, I cannot believe I agreed to this because so much of what you have in that prenup is trying to visualize the impossible, which is the future. And we've had numerous women come to us where, we look at their postnup or their prenup, sorry, their prenup. And at the time it was very, very good for them. Right. But, right. you know, now their husband earns $5 million a year. Right. So invested in Bitcoin and has another X on the side. Somehow, and, right. No, exactly. Somehow their wealth has gone into a different level. And so yeah. making sure that if that's the case for you, that you bring that prenup and talk to a lawyer to see whether or not you need to do a postnup. Correct. Because right. the facts of walking away with $200,000 from the marriage right. at the time when you each were bringing, right. you know, 
a thousand dollars seemed like a really amazing <laughs> right. Those opportunity. Those seemed like big numbers at that moment. It was well negotiated. It seemed fair, but the facts on the ground have changed. Yeah, yeah. That's another. I mean, that's another classic example. You gave the example earlier of restoring trust in a moment where there's been a breach. That's a, a traditional reason why people get postnups. Another traditional reason why people get postnups is exactly this. Something fundamental has changed since the time they negotiated their prenup. Yeah. So, you know, just to reference popular culture, I'm going to leave the politics out of it, but imagine Melania Trump. I'm fairly certain that she had a prenup before she married Donald, right? Yeah. It's his third wife, I think, yeah. right? So, and no doubt they had a prenup, but she didn't sign up to be the first lady. That was not even a glint or a twinkle of, of a thought in their, in either of their, uh, you know, minds at the time that they entered into their prenup. I imagine, I hope, Melania, if you're listening, I hope that you, <laughs> I hope you get a really good postnup. Because get a postnup. Get a postnup because the facts on the ground have changed. Completely changed. Right. I can't thank you enough. This thank has you been so, much. so enlightening. And I feel like postnups, while, you know, kind of like the dentist kind of scares me, that same feeling when I walk out of the dentist, this was not, you know, it's not that bad. Um, but before we go, I would love for the listeners yes. to know how they can reach out to you. Oh, that's so kind of you. Of course. <laughs> so I'm a partner at McLaughlin and Stern here in um, New York City. My direct number is 212-455-0358. We have a website, McLaughlinStern.com. And my email is L, my first initial, Rosenthal, R-O-S-E-N-T-H-A-L at McLaughlinStern.com. And McLaughlin is M-C, and it's last, L-A-U-G-H-L-I-N, Stern.com. Okay. And what we'll do too, as well, Linda, we'll put in show notes. Um, So anyone listening in the show notes, um, you're going to find two things. Number one, all of the information uh, for Linda and her contact information. Um, And also she wrote a really interesting uh, article on postnups talking about this issue that we've been speaking about, about returning, you know, returning to the workforce um, in a part-time manner or stepping out or, you know, whatever that looks like. And I found it to be really informative. So we'll also uh, send a, a link right there in the show notes so that you have that as well. And thank you again, Linda, for thank being here. Thank you so much, Stacey. It's been a pleasure. Thank, thank you. you. Thanks. Today. But before then, I want to give you an important tool, and that tool is a second opinion. It's a second opinion on your financial situation, a second opinion on your investments, looking at where you are today, where you want to go, and helping you fill those steps in between. You see, portfolios, investments, they're like clothes. They need to be tailored to you. And I don't know about you, but I have wider hips. And well, a size 12 dress may fit, it may not. And I know a size 14 may or may not. So I need to figure out what that perfect size is. And I will tell you many times I need to have an actual seamstress tailor it to my body. Well, it's the same thing with your investment portfolio and your financial plan. And that's why Francis Financial focuses on women like you who need a tailor-customized solution. We care about you. We 
love the work that we do and are purely dedicated to helping women going through divorce and after. So please reach out and we're here to support you. You can reach out at me personally, Stacy at francisfinancial.com, or you can give me a call 212-374-9008. Today was a extremely informative podcast talking about a little known contract called a post-nup. And while that fear of going to get my teeth cleaned at the doctor is similar to the fear I would have of going into working with my spouse for a post-nup. The big takeaway, at least for me, was that it's not as bad as I thought it was, particularly because Linda gave us some great tools about, number one, what needs to be in a post-nup, what structure, mediator, lawyers, what works best, and also how to have that conversation, that difficult conversation. But ultimately, what's most important is that you feel secure and you're financially secure. And a post-nup should help you do just that. Thank you for tuning in into Financially Ever After. It's my highlight to be able to speak to you every other week. And let us know if we can support you in any way because you deserve it.